my hope is that we allow one another the grace to be bold in our decisions. I mean, isn't that beautiful? Precious Norman Walton shared those words over on LinkedIn. Recently, she was profiled by, you know, the Wall Street Journal, no big deal, about her decision to embrace her silver hair. It's a really cool piece, and she's a really cool woman. I feel like this is a woman who just doesn't need an introduction, right? She's precious. She's a champion for education in our industry. She's a champion for change, and she embodies that. And mm, I'm grateful for her friendship, and I think you're going to be pretty grateful for this conversation, too. Off we go. I am Meg McKean, and this is Bound and Determined. I feel like this is just one of our many ongoing conversations and we're just happening to to catch this one on the record which who knows if if it'll be as magical as it is when we randomly pick up the phone and call <laughs> who does that anymore um right I love it and I love that you do and I love all of the the seasons of life that we've connected in and one of the things that I have always observed but admired more admired is you are one of those women who did the thing climbed the proverbial ladder. And then one day, or maybe not one specific day, but a combination of culmination of days hopped off the ladder and maybe started crawling um, a different direction or hopping on a merry-go-round, or I don't know how far to take this analogy, but um, (laughs) one of the really interesting things for me right now is, is I'm getting approached by lots of individuals, mostly women, but some men too, who I would consider to be really like traditionally accomplished in our business. Mm -hmm. They've achieved a certain level of of success. They're working for recognizable, highly respectable companies and and have the salaries to go with it. And they're they're booking time on my calendar. They're kind of like, I can feel them almost whispering like, Meg, I think I want to do something else. Mm -hmm. I think I'm ready to make a change. And it's for many, it's the first time they're saying that out loud, which I get because I had to say it out loud for the first time. But so did you. Yes. I caught you during a season of life where you had already sort of pivoted away from what I would call the traditional path. Do you remember that day? (laughs) I don't even know how you're going to tell this story in less than 30 minutes. So I'm just laughing at the thought that Precious and I are going to have a conversation that isn't going to go on for hours and hours, but we're going to do our best, my friend. Yes, we will. Wow. Um, so I guess I'll go kind of mid-career-ish. And so, like you alluded to, was doing all the right things, gaining all the right experience, all the right education to really present myself as this package that had the ability and the worth to continue to move forward, jumping through all the hoops, doing, you know, all these things. And it the very notion that our worth is tied into our salaries, our job description, how big our downline is, it just felt very, um, it, it wasn't who I was. That's not how I define things, like even on a, on a personal level. I've never been one uh, that was worried about the accumulation of, of physical things in terms of having shiny objects on my wrist and <laughs> the latest handbag on my shoulder. And so why was it that in this environment, I felt like it was almost like the military, like I needed to have the the row of ribbons on my chest that validated me. 
And so when I really got to the core of that, that I don't need, my worth is not derived by my output, that I have been uniquely formed to contribute in a particular way. And I wasn't getting the opportunity to do so because I was being typecasted. And that's the difficulty sometimes when you come from a long background in a particular discipline is it's hard for people to see you in another role. It's almost like that um, that adage, like, hey, you do your job so great, you get to do everyone else's job now too. And so I found these sticky points where I wasn't allowed to continue to thrive. And I realized that the only way that I was going to really be able to spread my wings and figure out what I was capable of is I was going to have to leave the creature comforts of Fortune 500. So that was my first endeavor moving into st the startup world, the insure tech world, the great unknown. And it was, there was no pensions involved, no retirement plan. I no longer had this neat little calendar and could tell you exactly where I would be at some predestined point in the future. I was just flying by the seat of my pants. Um, and every opportunity that I got was really organically grown the same way. I was willing to raise my hand, willing to make myself look foolish if necessary. But I also knew that taking on these new opportunities was going to be the only way that I could really put pressure on, on what I felt like I had the potential to do. I love that. And I'm, I'm furiously taking notes over here because there's so many different directions that we can go with this. But what I, I love about your story is that you did make a choice. You made a choice. You, you had a reconciliation. You had a moment in time where you realized that there was safety and comfort in what you knew, but there was also great potential in what you don't yet know. And I think that's a really powerful moment that you had to have you had to realize that in order to make that change. One of the things that I, I think of in our business a lot, I mean, I think it holds us back as I'll say mid-career women, because I'm not done yet. And I don't think you're done yet either. But oh, also no. as we're thinking about welcoming newer to their career women, and that is that you are either an underwriter, you're either a claims adjuster, you are either an account manager, you are an agent, you work on the carrier side, or you work on the agency side. And now I'm really excited that an insure tech opportunity is an opportunity. It wasn't when you and I were starting out in the business. That wasn't even, we still can't decide how you spell the word, but now it's a thing, right? And it's not going anywhere. <laughs> I love that. Right? That's so um, true. That's a very exciting moment in time, but yet very often we still are very siloed in our business. Personally, for me, the greatest shifts came when I made the greatest leaps, when I left the carrier side and I went to the agency side, when I left the agency side and I came out and started doing my own thing. It was a perspective that so many people don't have in the business and therefore makes you valuable in that way because oh, yeah. you see multiple sides of the same argument. I guess philosophically, why do you think that is? But also like, what do we do about it? Knowing full well that we're going to have multiple jobs and multiple careers in our lifetimes, how do we get out of our own way? So I think it's really interesting because I've, I've used the analogy, the analogy in the past that I've kind of rounded the bases in the industry. I've sat behind multiple desks so that I'd have that perspective from the agent broker side, from the underwriting side, from the claim side. And the system is set up in a way to where it's almost checks and balances like with the government. You know, if, if agency was just allowed to run wild and write whatever they wanted to because they're commission driven, then loss ratios would be out of control, companies would go insolvent. And so 
each position has a role to play so that everything balances out. And to your point, having moved around and sat in these seats, I understand what their goal is and what they're looking for. And so oftentimes, especially on the agency side, when I send in a submission, I'm like, hey, I've already kicked the tires, basically pre-underwrote it for you. <laughs> You're welcome. Here it is. I'm not just asking for it because I stand to make money on this sale, but I really believe that this fits the appetite and these are the reasons why. And so we speak that common language and that's really been helpful to have that perspective. I was thinking about even the analogy of running the bases that the last time my husband and I bought a ticket to a baseball game it was for a relatively new stadium and when you chose your seat selection it showed you what the field looked like from sitting there yeah yeah so you're like oh wait okay so if I'm behind home base and I'll be looking at this and looking at that and all the sun sets here you know so you really got to see ahead of time that perspective and I think that it's always the same field it's just our vantage point changes and it's okay to change seats depending on who I'm with if I'm with young children maybe it's important I'm next to the bathroom (laughs) or the food vending yeah you know if I'm with a hardcore baseball fan then we want to be right where the action is and taking those partitions out of the way and allowing us to just land on kind of triangulate where it is that we we find that intersection of what we're passionate about and what we're good at and not necessarily chase these rungs on that ladder you talked about and And so, so many people get kind of forced into leadership. They don't have a passion to lead people. And just because you're good in your role doesn't automatically make you a a people leader. And it's actually counterproductive because now you have teams that are paired with leaders that don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you have leaders leading people they don't want to lead, but they felt like that was a promotion on paper and in their bank account. And so, yeah, we need to be able to say, this is my superpower and this is how I feel like I'm best suited to contribute to this industry. Okay. You said it, things you're good at that you're passionate about. And I would add the third arm is how you can get paid to mm-hmm. do it. I think that's where we do a lot of the overthinking is that at a certain point in our careers, we look back and we say, well, I've been all of those things. I've had the promotions and now I'm a senior expert, director, VP, whatever of whatever. And that's all good and valuable, but we don't always inventory and catalog the skills that were required to get us there. And they might also be the skills that make us a really good member of the PTA or the board at church, or the homeowners association, or a good partner to our spouse or partner, a good mother, a good, there's so many ways that we attach in the world. And I think we, we often have kind of our blinders on because we're focused on the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And I think that's very common of, I'll say high achieving women. Yes. I think a lot of us are deprogramming some messaging that we've gotten along the way, Mm -hmm. that that's the only way to define success. And I know a lot of people today are having a bit of a a moment in what that looks like. I love that you're leading by example. You have, I will say cobbled together. That makes it sound like (laughs) there isn't a plan, but I guess that's my question for you. Like, is there a plan? How important is it to you that there be a plan? 
So I really think that, you know, it's interesting when you talk about cobbling things together, like my entire existence has always been <laughs> a combination of, of adding things together and really believing that the sum is greater than the, the parts, right? That when it comes together, being a Louisiana girl, it's like a pot of gumbo. The more ingredients go into it, there's this synergy that starts to happen. And so the taste develops and it has depth and it's different than eating those vegetables into individually. And so as I have evolved, and I'll try on something and say, hey, you know what, if you put together a list of priorities, and say these are the top three things that just hands down, I want to have, and then you get a chance to actually walk it out, just like when you order something like an outfit online, and you're like, man, you know, it's got to have like an amazing neckline. And then you get it in because the neckline was everything you're looking for. And the sleeves suck. It's not the right length. Now there's something else. And you're like, well, here I was thinking that the neckline was going to be the thing, the only thing I really cared about. And now that I've tried it on, I can go back and I can think through, well, in addition to the neckline, maybe it's more important that it has the proper length, color, whatever the other case may be. And so giving yourself that freedom to get it wrong. We don't know. I think a lot of us know what we want to do next because we know that we don't ever want to do what we just came from. And so not having this plan, I guess, building in some slack, giving yourself an ability to to discourse change without guilt. Um, I've always thought it was fascinating. So my oldest is getting ready to be 20 years old. I'm still getting used to saying that, like, yeah. that flow out of my mouth. Wow. And, you know, I told her as we were discussing, like, student debt and things like that, I said, I think that it is absolutely insane that you can take a child who just recently graduated from high school, has no life experience, and give them a blank check to go into as much debt as they would like. Mm. to pursue a career that they have no experience in. Yeah. So the majority of people, especially in insurance more than anything, we're here, but we had formal training in a completely different line of work. You know, we always talk about how we stumbled in or fell into insurance, whatever the case is. You know, a lot of us have degrees from things that had nothing to do with this. And so we sometimes try to stick a course because I call it the slot machine mentality. That you're feeding your quarters, your nickels, whatever your denomination of choice into this machine. And you're so afraid to walk away from it because you feel like it's going to pay off any moment now. Mm. But you're going deeper and deeper into debt. But you don't want to walk away because you'll, you know, you're stubborn. And if I step away and someone comes in behind me, boom, they're going to hit a jackpot, right? So we're feeding this machine and we're waiting for this jackpot to pay off. And so a lot of us are trying to learn to love the roles that we're in instead of really challenging ourselves that maybe, maybe I'm barking up the wrong tree. Maybe this isn't going to get any better because I don't belong here. Mm. Oh, I mean... (laughs) I'm just grateful you're in my life. Um, you just make things <laughs> make sense. And the oh, the slot machine, it's so it's so right. And I think a lot about, and I'm curious if you have this experience too. Do you ever not attempt something because you know you won't be perfect at it? Like we don't often as adults have a chance to be beginners. I'm fascinated by learning new skills and trying new things because we, we do a lot of that as kids. And we do a lot of that in formal education because that's what you're there for. But as professionals, Mm -hmm. you're supposed to have all the answers. Right. And so this idea that if I can't be perfect at it, I'm not 
going to even attempt it. And I hear that a lot in these conversations that I'm having kind of on the down low where it's like until the website is perfect and until I have my business plan written and until I have my first 15 paying clients and I know that I, I mean, the list goes on and on and on, then I'm not going to tell anyone about it because then if it it doesn't work, no one will see my quote unquote failure, which is a word that I have a very complicated relationship with. But I don't know if there's a question there, but more like, what do you, what do you think of when I say that? Do you, do you get that? Do you feel that? Absolutely. Um, It is humbling to be not good at something, especially when you've existed in a space where you've been the go-to, you've been the subject matter expert, you've been in your dojo, this is your domain, and all of a sudden something doesn't just come to you. I have been very spoiled that through school that certain things just naturally came to me. I've always been a writer. I didn't have to do all the different drafts. Sometimes I could bypass even an outline uh, because it just, it flowed and it made sense. And so I was so used to things just kind of landing. If I looked at it, I could solve it and I move on. So when you said that, I think about, oh, let's see, if my daughter's 20, this has to be maybe 15 years ago. Uh, I have a family member who is a court reporter, uh, makes a lot of money um, at the time, was telling me about how, you know, it's a profession that you can get into. It's not one that's really talked about much. And I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. So I type pretty fast and I'm like, oh yeah, that would be right up my alley. And a stenography machine has nothing to do with the keyboard. My hands would get cramped, my fingers. I'm like, why is my pinky so short? And my industry, <laughs> like they're telling me I should be able to like hit these things simultaneously. It's more akin to playing a piano. because you have to strike these keys at the same time in these different sequences and I just continued to just ram my head against this wall I was like look I paid for this lesson I paid for this equipment (laughs) I'm going to make it work because to your point people were watching and I felt like those were my accountability like okay well I I, I made a big announcement that I was going to do a thing Mm -hmm. and I'm doing this thing and I realized that this is the road to carpal tunnel and (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and arthritis and I don't want to do this thing anymore but I don't want to face down everyone that says hey whatever happened to that thing and so I think we do a lot of things in life because we're afraid of coming across as flighty inconsistent undecided um, ultimately unreliable and so we stick we have a tendency to stick things out because that is what was rewarded you know, as a Gen Xer, when we were earlier in life, the stability factor, the old faithful factor. <laughs> and so suppressing starting something new until you have this perfect environment. I'd recently shared with a friend of mine, I said, it's, it's uncanny that life happens in real time. That we can do all the planning and we can have all the due diligence that we want to and we can start down a way and more important than planning is resilience. Can you bounce back? Can you pivot? Can you change if things necessitate a change or how married are you to that one path, you know, and so getting past ego and the appearance of failure is on the other side of that. I think there's so much more gratification and success. (sighs) Again. With the truth bombs, um, we've I don't think we've talked about failure on the podcast, and we've now mentioned it a couple different times. And I, I think there's a very sort of sunshiny tulips and butterflies 
you know, on the other side of failure is lessons learned and stronger <laughs> muscles. And, and there's also wanting to hide under the covers and not get out. And there's shame and there's embarrassment and oh, sometimes yeah. it's humiliation. And sometimes it's, I mean, this is real life to your point. And I don't think we talk enough about what that actually looks like and what that actually feels like. I think that holds a lot of women. I won't say it holds them back. I'll say it keeps them in one place. I don't know. I don't even know if like experience with failure, what a stupid thing to say, <laughs> but like, what, how do you consider the other side? The conditions of life are, they're, they're inescapable, right? And it doesn't matter what we do for a living. At the end of the day, our humanity is there and it will always be there. And when you were talking about failures, I was thinking to myself, you know, I had a failed marriage. Mm. Nobody really likes to talk about that because in, in discussing it, sometimes having to show those scars, show those moments where you didn't exercise maybe the best of judgment, uh, those things that, like you said, is enshrouded in that shame. But sometimes the grittier the testimony, the more relatable it is. And you never know who's in your audience or who's watching you because maybe they are there right now. And listening to you tell this story gives them hope that if someone like you was here and made it through, then my story is not over either. And so it takes a lot to dig into places that you're not comfortable and tell stories that you omit from your highlight reel. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And, but it's all of that, that character, right? I mean, when you talk about, you know, again, things that have natural inclusions or flaws, and it actually adds to their value, um, we have to move away from these societal norms that I think are even more prevalent because of things like social media and, and whatnot, where we're all comparing our real selves to someone else's filters, and you have this sense of not measuring up. Um, there was a commencement speech that was given by uh, Shonda Rhimes at her alma mater a couple of years ago. And she says, you know, people always ask her the questions, you know, how do you do it all? And she said, quite, you know, frankly, I don't. Every time you see me showing up here, winning here, I'm failing somewhere else. <laughs> And that really hit me because to your point, as a wife, as a mom, as a leader, you know, as a volunteer, all these things, we have so many plates spinning and we want to do it, you know, without sweat on our brow and we want to do it as if, but the reality of it is, it's opportunity cost. There's a trade-off for everything. Sometimes the trade-off are the amount of free time, the number of hours you get to sleep, you know, something. And so I think being open to sharing more of these less than stellar experiences is really what's going to get us to drop some of these facades and have some real conversations. Hmm. We'll link the Shonda Rhimes uh, commencement speech in the show notes because I've seen it, but I want to go back and I want to watch it again. Um, you mentioned the failed marriage thing and I have one too, but like I've chosen to detach the word failure from mm -hmm. it, right? Because I am forever different. Mm -hmm because of that experience, good and bad, right? And I don't think I could show up in the world the way that I do if I didn't have that chapter in my story. Am I glad it's over? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, would I want to live it again? Nope, no thank you. But it has changed me in ways I'll never, I'll never totally understand. It's just very cathartic yeah. to be able to admit that I'm not perfect. I don't even aim to be. 
anymore. Um, anyone who puts you on a pedestal and idolizes you, I, I shy away from that because I warn people that I am going to disappoint you at some point. I disappoint me. Um, some of the things that people see, some of the behaviors in me that they see and they they aspire to don't all necessarily have the best of origins. You know, I, I've gone through so much of my career just doubling down and just pushing blood, sweat, tears just by any means necessary because I was constantly fighting my own demons about being in my head and, and not being good enough. So all of a sudden I went out of my way to try to settle scores with people who've moved on. I am going to be somebody. You were wrong about me when you said that I couldn't. And again, just chasing these shadows um, has not been the best use of, of my energy for sure. Extending the same grace to ourselves that we give to others. If it were somewhere else and, and you knew that it was it just cost them too much, you would tell them not to bother. But when it's us, we feel this need to to show up because we have this fear of disappointing others. We have this fear of, of a lot of what we do is motivated by fear, which is not a healthy place to come from. And so when we start allowing the gray and we start allowing the blemishes and we start allowing ourselves not to be the super polished and we start this process where other women don't have to hold themselves to these unreasonable standards, these toxic standards. And you're like, it's okay that I'm not going to be on my A game 100% of the time. And I'm going to allow myself that space and that grace. And we continue because the next chapter, I'm still fully convinced that the best is yet to come. I've done a lot of great things, but I'm not done yet. But that's going to have to involve letting go of some things. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. It's that internal permission, right? It's it's the ability to look inward and give yourself that grace. But I also see something really powerful that's happening where some of that traditional, I'll say hierarchy, although our business, our business is still very and forever will be hierarchical, right? It's not about that. It's more about women really looking to their side and behind and to the front and saying, who do I want with me on this journey? Who can I bring with me? And to be able to build those communities and those circles and be sort of in it together and have that that person or that group of people who can be that bit of grace for you on the day that you're not feeling it, or you're not, you're just not. And, and I think we are constantly in this cycle of perfectionism and I'm doing a lot of independent study on anxiety. It's a diagnosis that I have and that I'm navigating. And one of the things I'm learning is that you have to close that loop and that's one of the things I've been very intentional about doing today is when I wake up at three in the morning, which I'm trying so hard not to do with that spiral of these are all the things I have to do. And these are all the people I've let down. And these are all the things I've ever done wrong in my life. I mean, it is gnarly where our mind can go in the, in the depths of the morning or the night, but it's saying, okay, and if that's true, what next? So I love that. One of the outcomes of the pandemic has been really putting a focus and, and opening up conversations about mental health. 
Yeah. And I was reading an article that now even the might be the American Journal of Medicine, one of those that suggests that for all of our interactions with the medical community, that adults be screened for depression, anxiety, because we survived a trauma with this pandemic. And if not addressed and treated, then there's long term you know, fallout from things like that. And so I I think about being able to speak freely in this space and having that, the camaraderie and knowing that it's not just you and knowing that we're all in this together and we're all going to come out of this together. And we're going to be, you mentioned earlier, you know, all the adages of, oh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That doesn't mean that it's fun. <laughs> That's never going to make this desirable or ideal. Um, so how do we, how do we create those safe spaces where people are free to be themselves and are free to express themselves without, you know, the the judgment piece of it? Um, so we're still one conversation at a time, you know, with, within our circles of influence. We're getting there. I'm optimistic when it comes to that. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for being in my circle. Uh, we didn't plan it, but. You'd never know that, right? Uh, We ended there with some thoughts on community. And one of the places that I am finding community these days is insure equality. You've heard me talk about insure equality. I could not be more excited about the latest endeavor that Alyssa and her team have built. It's called Phoenix. I've heard it described as glass door for the insurance industry. And it's such a spot on analogy. It's a rating tool where employees can go in and provide really honest and anonymous feedback about their experience with their employer from a diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging standpoint. And it's also a place where employers can go and learn again anonymously about the experience that their employees are having while they work there. We love our data (laughs) in this business, and this tool has the potential to really shape the experience that each of us who are here are having in the workplace, but also shape the future for those who are yet to come. I encourage you to head on over to phoenixrise.org to leave your review, to check out the results of your company. And when you're ready, head on over to insureequality.org to make a donation uh, that feels right for you. Until next time, my friend.